Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on The Coolering. This week, I'm pleased to share an episode of the podcast from three years ago with some amazing ideas that still make a ton of sense today. Tina Hart, then Vice President of Marketing, Labels and Packaging Materials in North America at Avery Dennison, and now the Vice President of Sales, shares how she's helped a sales-led organization to truly better understand the varying persona groups that exist amongst their customers. Tina lets us in on how customer service can be a secret weapon to help you better understand how customers want to be interacted with, whether that's digitally or otherwise, and how your organization can leverage this into greater relationships. There's much more to unpack here from Tina's experience, so let's jump right in. Please enjoy the episode. You're listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring. My name is Jeff White, and joining me today from frozen Nova Scotia hell is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing? I'm sorry. I'm in Orlando, Florida right now. It's not so bad. Man, I don't know, though. I mean, branding our home province as hell may, well, may frozen be a, hell. a little <laughs> harsh, but... Um, but it certainly uh, is. Uh, look, it's nice to be joining, uh, regardless of uh, of the weather. Although, I think that the uh, uh, mid seventies weather in Orlando looks a lot more appealing. It does. It does. It, it's not so bad. But uh, I'll be back on Saturday, so it won't be so bad. But joining <laughs> us from balmy, sunny uh, Cleveland, however, right. <laughs> um, uh, where there's, they're currently uh, experiencing a midwinter heat wave, as I understand, mm-hmm. is uh, Tina Hart. Uh, uh, Jeff, introduce our guest. Sure. So Tina is the North American Vice President of Marketing for the Label and Graphic Materials Division of Avery Dennison. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, Tina. Thanks, guys. It's good to be here. It's fantastic to have you, Tina. I think what our listeners don't know is that you and I had this side bet that Jeff would get the title <laughs> your, your title wrong, uh, and he just like won. He nailed so, it. Uh, yeah. Ma'am. Yeah. Ma'am. Good notes. That's how you do it. <laughs> Tina, why don't you introduce us a little bit more to Avery Dennison and your role there? Because oddly, I bet a lot of our listeners would make the same mistake that uh, Jeff and I frankly made in that um, uh, we remember Avery from the good old uh, days back when we were trying to make labels on our laser printers. But that's not Avery Dennison. That is not Avery Dennison anymore. So thank you. So um, Avery Dennison is a probably the industry-leading manufacturer of pressure sensitive material that's used in labeling applications. Um, I started with Avery Dennison back in 2001. So I'm, I've been in this industry for close to 18 years and our division in particular in its simplest form supplies really large two meter plus rolls of material that is paper or film. Um, we put adhesive on it in layman's terms, we'd call it sticky paper. Um, and our customers then take that material, they cut it down into smaller rolls, they print labels on that, and they put those labels onto products that you use every day in your house. So from your shampoo and conditioner to your wine bottles, um, to food products in your refrigerator, um, to the Amazon 
kind of shipping labels on a box. Um, so those barcode labels that make sure that your products get from a retailer to your house uh, effectively. Um, and then even in more kind of durable applications like on your HVAC equipment outside. So it's products that have to withstand some real environmental conditions. Um, so we're kind of everywhere. Um, Avery Denison touches a lot of things, but we don't make the labels. And that's the big misconception about us. Um, we make we make the material that goes into the labels. Um, we supply, I don't know, about 2,000 different printers. We call them converters in our industry across the U.S. and Canada. So the division that I work for and the region that I work for is North America. And, and our customers range in size from anywhere from a small startup company that goes out and buys a very inexpensive digital press and starts an online business to print labels for you because um, you're making your own wine or, or something like that, uh, to really big, large multinational companies that are as global as we are. Um, and we interact, we, we traditionally interact with these customers in a variety of ways, but usually it's based on the size of that account, the, the potential strategic value to our business. Um, we kind of have always followed the old segmentation approach with those customers. So we kind of let sales guide us on how we interact with customers at an account level. Um, and that's something that's evolving for us. Wow, well, that's a that's a fantastic introduction, and um, and it, it's uh, I, I love that it uh, turns a bit on its ear our notion of uh, what we think when we hear the name Avery, and uh, uh, but nonetheless, uh, you've also illustrated just how ubiquitous right. you are in the world. Uh, probably everybody listening to the podcast has encountered your product today, in some right? Way, shape, or Correct. I think the interesting thing about one of the interesting things uh, about Avery Dennison that and that and it's like a lot of um, B two B manufacturers find themselves in this place where they they perhaps look out at their uh, more B two C contemporaries and and they say you know we're behind um, we're behind in in the realm of digital. And, and we're behind in the realm of the customer experience that we're delivering as an organization. And I know that um, Avery Dennison has come to that conclusion. Tina, I'd love to, to, to unpack that a bit and talk about um, the path that you're on to, to really transforming uh, that business and the customer experience that you deliver. Sure. So it's it's really interesting to me, and I bet a lot of my other peers in B two B marketing could relate to this. But in the in the B two B space, when you're really an operations driven company, a mar- or a manufacturing type of company, we will spend money on technology that automates. We will invest in digital um, equipment and and controls for all of our process because it's really easy to calculate an ROI. So if I add some control to my asset that's digitally controlling how the asset 
produces material, I can clearly show how it's going to make me more productive and therefore save costs for the business. So I'm not saying it's easy to get capital uh, in an older manufacturing organization. Sometimes that's a challenge in and of itself, but it's definitely easy to tie an ROI to it. Where we struggle on the marketing side is we're sort of a second thought and we kind of, we only have 2000 customers. So why do you need to do any kind of special digital interaction with them? We, we engage with them by the sales team that we have and they go and visit and that's how we get business. Um, so we, we struggle with developing, a, an ROI for commercial digital, uh, implementations that are, it's tan, that it's tangible, you know, our company always wants to know, well, how much are you going to grow? If we invest in a new um, in a new tool for you digitally, how will, how will you grow with that? What is Google Analytics going to give you that you that's really going to drive our business? Um, so I, where we've had the ability to invest, the only places that and traditionally Avery Dennison has been willing to invest is in things like a CRM system where you're, you know, you're using it basically to guide your sales team and to measure opportunity pipelines. You're not really using it to determine how to interact best with your customers or drive demand. Um, or we do things like we, you know, we try to upgrade our website from time to time and that's about the extent of it. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a challenge for us in the B2B space to get your leadership team to buy in to digital innovations for the business and, and, and how you can use that data. So what, what spurred the, uh, the, 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 the flip of the switch, if you will, uh, um, because there has been, um, you know, a lot of your work uh, recently has been around, uh, um, uh, reevaluating the customer experience and, and, and looking at the expectations that customers have, um, of Avery Dennison, um, what what led the organization to kind of open up their hearts and minds and indeed their wallets to the initiative? So a couple of things I, I mentioned in our pre-call, we are in the middle of a, a big ERP project in our region. Um, we had evaluated our systems. It had been some time before we had upgraded. I think it had been about 25 years since we originally invested in the ERP systems. And we had a lot of assumptions about what our customers wanted to get out of that. Um, and so as we were looking at that, we decided to expand beyond just the manufacturing controls and the supply chain and the logistics aspects of the ERP and really look at what, what other tools do we need to bring online to improve the customer experience. So the ERP led. So ERP, we had a good ROI on productivity gains that we could get from that ERP implementation. And we were able to kind of tag on this customer experience portal uh, piece of the project, which was helpful. Um, additionally, we brought in some outside perspective. So we have brought in people from the B2C world in a couple of key positions that are really prompting us to think differently about how we engage with customers and really challenging us that just because this is only traditionally this research type effort has only been done in a B2C world before, it doesn't mean that we can't apply it in the B2B space. Um, so we've, we've been doing some good work there. Let's talk about the, the, the I guess, the uh, the the transition there because you know of course um, you, you know you, you really sounds as though you're 
um, research is leading you away from some assumptions um, that your previous, shall we say, maybe more sales-led approach was uh, was leading you to believe. What are some of those? Um, what are some of those changes that have occurred? What are what are some of the assumptions that you carried into this process that have been turned on their ear? Yeah. So I mentioned in my intro, we had traditionally always segmented our customers um, with the sale. The sales led that effort. The sales team, and it was always based on at an account level how we looked at the customer. So is it a strategic? partner that wants to interact with us? Do they have the size? Um, do we have a certain share position that we want to improve? Um, are they willing to partner with us? There was all these criteria at an account level. But the one thing we had never actually done any research on was really how individual customers wanted to be treated. So with our sales segmentation, we were heading down a path where we said, oh, you know, every customer out there is a consumer just like you and I, and they want an Amazon card experience. We've got to work on investing in our e-commerce platform to give everybody this, this consumer experience that they're used to when they shop at home. And we ended up, we went down that before we invested in all of that, we started to, and then we kind of paused and we did this research study of our customers and the buyer journey, um, which actually led us to develop these four personas, which is very familiar to B2C marketers. I mean, they do that with their consumers all of the time. Um, so what we did was we created personas for individual contacts at our accounts and how they wanted to interact. And we honestly, in my 18 years here, I've never seen us um, collect so much demographic data. Um, the, the whole concept of why we thought customers wanted a, a, an Amazon cart was, with, you know, the industries, obviously the older people are retiring and we have all these young people coming in and taking over. So we better be ready for it. What we really learned in that process was that probably 25% of our individual contacts at customers were ready for that and wanted that. Um, the other 75% are, you know, average age 50. They want, they don't want us to take away all their hard copies of catalogs and things that we were trying to save money and cut costs and eliminate with the assumption that everyone is going digital. They, they still wanted all those tools. So we were headed down a path to eliminate all printed copy, to build an Amazon cart, to drive e-commerce to all of our customers and found out probably 75% of them wanted no part of that and weren't ready for it. So what it led us to do is think about, we have to build a bridge. So we know we have this new generation coming up that's going to change the way they interact with us, but you've got to, you can't, you can't lose sight of the core group of customers that still make up the bulk of the people you interact with. I think that's really interesting because I mean, in a lot of cases and a lot of the manufacturers that we speak with, it's just as hard to sell in the idea that they need to develop an e-commerce platform at all, let alone one as advanced right. and intelligent as what they experience on Amazon let alone to then lead them away from that based on the research that you've done. What was the reaction of the executive when you kind of presented this idea of here's who are true personas and this is their actual buyer's journey? 
Well, it was again, it's a manufacturing-led company in many ways. And so originally the response I got was, what do you mean we segmented our customers or developed personas? We know everything there is to know about our customers. <laughs> um, but honestly, it's led to some really great dialogue with our leadership team. Um, you know, our, our general manager in the region really embraced it. At, at the same time we were doing this, I mentioned we we're, we're starting to talk about our commercial digital strategy and where, where did we need to go with that? And it actually helped frame a lot of the work that we're just starting to do in terms of thinking through what does that, what does that technology roadmap look like? How, how do you add value without leaping too far ahead of yourself. Cause the worst case is that you, you overinvest and it takes 10 years for your customers to catch up. And then nobody believes you anymore that it was necessary. You know, that's, I, again, we're, we're a company where results and execution and ROI are measured and monitored. So I, I can't leap too far in advance or then you lose interest from the, from the group. But the reaction has been really positive. I think we, we have a, we have a diversity challenge in our industry. Um, probably only about 20% of the employees that we surveyed and we had a really good response rate, about 20% of the customers that, that we got survey results from when we did this research study were female. Um, we, we know we have an aging industry and how does the industry react? And it's really interesting because we have an industry association that we're very active in. And some of these are key strategic pillars for the association is because it's, it's affecting the entire industry and how the industry moves forward. So we've been able to help there as well. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash sample ABM. It must, uh, it seems to me that one of the delicate things here is, is that, you know, part of you is challenged to be, you know, skating to where the puck is going, you know, um, and you, 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 you said it yourself. You have these new buyers um, uh, entering these roles, and they uh, those personas potentially carry with them different expectations. Mm-hmm. That twenty five seventy five split that you referenced, um, and, and I, I understand the, the notion of not wanting to get uh, uh, too ahead of yourself um, uh, from a point of view of trying to lead customers down an experience. Uh, and then at the same time, I'm I'm looking at it saying it's not just the customers that need to be led down the experience, but you know, in some ways internally, um, you know, you have to use these tools for a while before you get good at them, before you understand how to really leverage them mm. uh, super effectively for your customers, et cetera. How, how how are you thinking about that? That kind of balance about kind of how far out over the skis do we get here? Yeah, I mean, I think what we're, I mentioned it, we're on a journey a little bit within Avery Dennison in this regard. Um, I think our approach, and we, we do this in quite a few areas of our business, but our approach is to create small hypotheses about what we're trying to achieve and what we think the results will be, and then pilot things. So we, 
we're we're a little bit on the conservative side, I think, in terms of investment, and as well we should be, right? We're a publicly traded company with a with a, a commitment to our shareholders and our employees to deliver results. So we have to be somewhat careful. So we have taken this approach of trying smaller pilots. So as an example, you know, we did this buyer journey research, um, which by the way was a learning for me. It takes a long time. Like I thought we would do this little survey and we'd have all the results in a couple of weeks. It was probably a good six months of effort that it took us to get to the results that we got. Um, but we are piloting now out of this, um, a different methodology using our CRM. We've basically tagged customers based on their persona and we are approaching some pilot efforts around communication. So if I have, I have this one small group of, we call them innovative enthusiasts, and they're the people who really want to be interacted with digitally, and they want to know all the latest and greatest, and they spend a lot of time on their phones, and that group, we're tagging them that way. And so as we develop our communication plans um, or our campaigns that we're working on for whatever it is, a product launch or a focus area for the business, we are literally creating p- campaign plans that gear towards that segment one way. And maybe in that group, we're not sending them anything in hard copy. It's all digital. But then we have another group who are, um, we call them standard fair. And they're people who just really want your catalog. I got to get my job done. I don't have time. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want your emails. Just send me the hard copy. So that group, we send the catalog. Um, Another group is very focused on the interaction they have with their sales team, and they're still very reliant on their their representative to bring them information. So in that group, it's sort of the combination of both. We use a little digital, but then we give things to the sales team to walk into that account so that that sales rep drives value there. So that's that's like a first pilot that we're doing with this persona data, and um we're, we're literally, like I said, on this journey where we're just stepping into that. It'll be interesting. Maybe we can talk in, a, in about six months and I'll give you an update on how, how it's going and if it's having the impact. I would love that. I'm also always curious when, when um, you know, uh, having worked through, uh, I don't know how many uh, persona exercises uh, I've been a part of over the years now, and um, I, I'm always curious uh, I guess, what has been the reaction to the, by the sales organization? Have, have they looked at the, the personas that have been developed and said, yeah, you know, that these kind of align with the, with the people that we see in our day-to-day? I, I guess, how, and, and to what extent have you seen, uh, seen some homogeneity in, the, in, the, in those personas across the client organizations? I mean, I guess, do you feel like you've got that nailed with the four? Or do you feel like eh, maybe there's some evolution of this over time? I think definitely there's evolution over time. Um, we we started socializing this concept with the sales organization. And we actually, when we first started the project, we were calling it segmentation. And we had to stop saying that because to sales, segmentation is what they do. And so we had to start really referring to them as personas because it's not account level. It's individualized um, information about their accounts. Um, I think our our key objectives have been to grab on to the early adopters uh, and focus on those sales sales reps who are interested in these sorts of tools and and um, 
this data that helps them be more effective at their job. And we've kind of put our arms around that group. Our, interestingly enough, the group that has really embraced it on the commercial side is our customer support team. So it's the customer service organization that, that takes calls for orders and, and helps customers you know, find samples of material and all those sorts of things. They've been a real early adopter in it. Um, how they can then restructure their organization to better serve those customers that want more hands-on interaction versus the ones who just want to interact electronically. Um, so, but definitely it's early days and, and, and we still have iterations and opportunity there to improve that, that linkage with sales. I think our other challenge just as a, a, an additional thing is, is the difference in getting people into the mindset that there's, there's an account strategy. And then within that account, you could have all four personas represented within that account. It's not necessarily an, they, that's, that was the hard learning for the organization was it's not about this customer, customer ABC. It's about Joe Smith at customer ABC. And so that's been a learning as well for them. But what is interesting is now sales is starting to help us tag customers. So we had probably, like I said, about 500 respondents to the research study that we did. So we were able to tag them um, based on the results. And then now we have a small group of questions, which are the really the questions in the survey that, that statistically drove the persona um, that they were put in. And so we now give them that questionnaire and they can quickly run through it with a customer and tag that customer. So we continue to build that database. So we went from about 500 to 700 tagged over a course of a few months. Oh, fantastic. Now is customer service doing that or, as well or just sales? No, we have, it's a little bit of both. So we have our customer service people, you know, we always give them things to talk about with the customer at the end of the call. So we've tried to utilize that, that group to help us do this. Um, we have another group that does pre-sale technical support. So we've kind of engaged with them. They're also part of the customer service organization so that we've engaged with them to help us with this exercise. We sort of, we plug it in wherever we can. Our largest trade show was last September. Um, we have it every other year. So we had a, a big customer event, a hospitality event, and we had we had surveys at the door that we made them fill out as they came in, put your name down and fill out these questions. And, and then we use that as an opportunity as well. So wherever we have a chance to engage, we try to, we try to capture as many customers as we can. Jeff, I, I, I can say, I, I think we've I don't know how, again, how many um, persona exercises we've, we've been a part of, but I don't, yeah, I, I don't feel like, I don't know that I've ever heard somebody describe um, uh, the adoption of personas via customer service in that way. I love it. I love it as a way in. I don't mind saying. I, yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. It's a, it's a unique way of doing things. And, and I think that sales is a, yeah yeah and and that sales would adopt it as well and and begin to kind of notice right. oh yeah no that you know this this is the wrong name of course but you know this is our marketing mary persona at this particular customer and then there are these three others that are also at this customer or at this account and uh being able to see that with the especially with 
you know, the larger buying groups that are involved in a, in a B2B uh, buying decision these days. I mean, it's, it's fascinating that everyone is kind of getting on board to adopt these different ways of speaking to people because it'll also give them an opportunity to glean new information because they'll be talking to each persona in a slightly different way. Right, right. Yeah, and we saw we saw the buying group data come through in our research study as well. Um, even at the smallest accounts, people aren't individually making decisions, buying decisions in our industry anymore. So that was a good learning for us as well. I think our organization has kind of thought through that over the years, and we've used different tools that are, you know, kind of public tools out there to try and figure out account strategy and how do you capture all of the all of the people who influence the buying decision. But this gave us some real data to show how that's impacting, you know, decisions in our industry. I think that's going to be a huge um, uh, hinge of uh, of the debate over the next several years, is that it, because if the B two B buying committee continues to increase in size the way it's been doing, and I, you know the CEB Gartner folks have been tracking this probably more than anyone, um, and they continue to uh, show that just year over year uh, the average B two B buying committee size is increasing, and with that comes uh, an increased propensity to just do nothing to. to to mm-hmm. make no decision and and then as marketers you know uh, I, I, i'm fond of saying that the art of 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 crafting buyer personas is the art of uh writing checks that your content strategy have has to cash has to cash in the future right. you know like <laughs> because it, you know if you're going to customize as jeff just mentioned content for every persona uh, and that and, and and if the buying committee continues to increase and and the number of personas that we need to talk to continue to increase we can obviously see the challenge um have you looked at that to say, you know, at some point we need to to cut that off. We need to focus on the people that we think are most influential in that decision. Have you have you tiered that in any way, or thought about structuring your personas in a way that prioritizes in some way um, folks that are more likely to be to be decision makers versus not? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this will answer your question. I guess as we as we look at as we look at our customers, so the buyer group influence really impacts us at an account level. It's not so much the persona level where that is an influence for us. So as we try to, we have certain products that are bought, not sold. Um, So they're just kind of day in, day out inventory type products that our customers buy from us on a regular basis. And a lot of the individual personas are those buyers who are just estimating a job. Yep, your price fits. I go ahead and I buy that stock from you so I can run the job next week. Um, And those are kind of day in and day out. It's when we kind of approach customers from a a larger supply agreement perspective, we want to be your primary share supplier at this account that the buyer group is much more impactful to us. So I I think for us, we have to look at both ways. So we have to think about the most influential people in the buying group to capture the hearts and minds of that account as a whole and to kind of gain a, a position at that customer. But then 
there's a day-to-day basis of the guys who actually execute regularly for that account, um, maybe at a lower tier in the organization or a lower level in the organization, that the personas really come into play. So making sure they're informed about new things that are happening in the way they want to be informed, um, but that they always have the most recent information at their fingertips, whatever way they access it. I don't know if that answers the question, but that's that's how we're looking at it today. We may learn something in six months that changes that perspective, but that's that's how we're approaching it. No, that answers it very well. Thank you. And I think, uh, well, of course, that's just the nature of uh, of marketing uh, in this day and age. It certainly will evolve over the next six months. It's the one thing we know for certain. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, well, with uh, I guess with our bit of our futuristic uh, lens on uh, as we near the end of our time together today, Tina, um, what do you have uh, on the horizon as you look six, 12 months out? What has really has your your attention and curiosity um, as you uh, as you steer the Avery Denderson ship? Um, for me, I'm really interested in analytics and data. Um, we do very, I would say today we're doing very surface um, engagement metrics. You know, how many unique site visits do you have? How are how are customers moving through your website? Um, but it's it's really high level kind of data that doesn't actually drive decision making for our business. So what I'm very interested in, and we we need to wait till our implementation is is done, um, and it it'll be part of this customer experience portal that we're developing. But how we can actually dive a little bit deeper into the analytics of how customers actually truly behave in our website and how they make buying decision. We're going to enable some things in our customer portal that haven't been there in the past. Um, So we'll have, I'm sure we're going to have some hiccups along the way as we learn, but things like giving them the ability to get a price online, which sounds really simple, but it's just not something that we've ever done. Um, So how do we make sure that that experience is really positive for them and they keep coming back? Um, and they don't, they don't just run away cause it wasn't the price they were expecting kind of a thing. So, um, but, but analytics for me, we have, we are a company with more data than we even know what to do with. And it's a, it's a competency we don't have in our organization. So there's been quite a bit of conversation. I know I, I engage quite frequently with our IT partners as we think about this commercial digital strategy and what are the elements that are missing for us today. And that's an area, it's not just technology, but it's competency and how to go after it. So that's, that's to me, the next big area. Avery Dennison as a corporation has just invested in, in the digital realm and the fact that we've hired a CIO. Um, so that is a, it's been a long time since we had someone at that level in the organization. So he's really looking at strategically how we think about our digital transformation across the business. Um, so I'm, I'm really, this is an area for me. And one of his pillars is around building competencies in the organization. Cause I, to me, that's a gap for us and, and an area of opportunity. And honestly, I don't think any of our I don't think people in our industry are doing it yet. So it's an it's truly an opportunity for our business to be first to to get there. 
think an awful lot of people find themselves in that situation where they're they're awash in data, they that but they they haven't uh, developed the the competency around uh, an ability to actually unearth insight out of it and to make that a uh, a systematic uh, part of decision making uh, in, in in the enterprise. So I I, I think that's a incredibly exciting uh, to, to think about as you get this. Uh, uh, new portal ready to roll. I, I look forward to updating in six months and a year's time and seeing how it all works out. Yeah, that'd be great. Tina, thanks so much for joining us on The Cooler today. It's been a real pleasure chatting. Thanks, guys. It's been great to be here. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash thecoolerring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.